We're in 2 Timothy on page 1195. And we're just going to read a few little verses. But it's packed full of amazing things. And lots of good news for us today on Easter Sunday. So 2 Timothy, and we're in chapter 1, it's page 1195. And we're going to read from verse 8. So 2 Timothy, chapter 1, and verse 8. Uh, this is a man called Paul writing to a young church leader called Timothy, and he says to Timothy, So, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This afternoon, we're going to think about a question which there's a good chance you have never been asked before. This is the question we're going to think about. We're going to ask, do you want to live forever? Who in this room wants to live forever? I once spoke to someone about this, and they said, I don't want to live forever. It sounds boring. It sounds awful. And I said to them, I think your idea of living forever, it sounds awful to you, because the idea of living forever for you is, is a really lame idea. It just sounds like this weird nothingness of going on and on and on and on and on in nothing. And no wonder you don't want that. But when the Bible talks about living forever, it is without a doubt something we want in on. Who in this room wants to live forever in a reality without sadness or pain, with no goodbyes, with no hurt, an eternity with no shameful secrets that are going to come out, no guilt, no wrong, only right? Tell me you don't want that. And at the center of this living forever is being with the creator of life, God, the creator of your life. A being, God, of such perfect love and kindness and justice and strength and goodness who will be with us always. Do you want to live forever with that kind of life? Okay, there might be two questions that we have when we, when we think about this living forever. What do I need to do to get this? And how is it even possible anyway? I mean, come on, living forever? To get our answers to those two questions, what do I need to do to get this? And come on, is it even possible? We've got this two-sentence summary in 2 Timothy of the gospel, the Christian message, which is all about living forever with God. These two sentences are all about the very real possibility of living forever with him. So we're going to go through these two sentences and, and follow those two questions, okay? So first question, what do I have to do to live forever in this way? Nothing. Is the answer? Nothing. Have a look at verse 9. Little, little 9 down there. 
He, God, has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. The grace, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Okay, so the first thing we see in verse 9 is he has done something. God has done something. God has saved us and called us to a holy life. He saved us, calling us to his holy life, a, a new life that God gives us, a new life of living for him. Being saved for life forever with God. This is the living forever stuff. But just notice, God seems to be doing everything here. God is doing this. God has saved us. He has done this. You know when you're walking down the street and you get handed a a flyer and it says on it, free coffee, and you think, yes, dream come true. And then there's a little star, you know, the little asterisk, and you follow down to the small print, only available if you download the app, sign up to get promotional emails you don't want, and only when you buy an overpriced sandwich. And you think, not so free. And so we've just picked up a flyer that says, salvation, being saved, sounds good if we need saving from something, and a holy life, a life lived for God, with God, forever, living forever. And straight off, we're looking for the little star, the little terms and conditions, and we go down and we're expecting it to say something like, only available when you do a bunch of amazing and good things and do some religious ceremony and sort out your life and clean up your acts. And you think, thought so, you know, not so free after all. The Bible is onto us. Look at what it says in verse 9. He saved us and called us to a holy life, by the way, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. There is a little star, the little asterisk, and you, you go down. And you look down and it says in small print, I bet you thought there were lots of things you had to do first before God was going to give you life forever with him. No, really, this really, 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 really is not because of anything good you have done. That's what it's telling us. And then there's this really important word that comes up. Grace. It's because of his own purpose and grace. God has done all this for us, giving us this salvation and life out of his own purpose and grace. What's grace? Grace is a gift. Grace is a gift that is given completely free, really free. Not because you've earned it. We've got a name for something that you've earned. It's called a paycheck, right? That's what we call something you've earned. You don't open your paycheck and say, my boss is really generous and kind to me. You say, quite right, I worked, give it to me. It's not a gift, it's not grace. It's a paycheck. A gift of grace works completely, radically differently. God saves us for this life forever, knowing him. But Paul says, oh, get it totally clear, not because of anything we have done. Not because of anything good we've done to impress God. And we've got to leave at the door all ideas of God being impressed with us, even just a little bit impressed with us. You get a pay rise because you've impressed your boss. You get flowers from your husband because he thinks you're great. But you get life forever from God because of absolutely nothing you've done to deserve it. So where does it come from? Where does this gift come from? From God, it says, his own purpose and grace. 
the life with God that he holds out to us this afternoon comes entirely from his own heart. Which is stunning, given what we've done to him. I wonder if you've ever had the experience, maybe someone in your life, and your history, who you've been absolutely rotten to over and over again. And every time you, are, you hurt them, they just get back up off the floor and are really good to you. And you think, well, if I was in your position, I'd have ditched me a long time ago. That's grace. Keep coming back. And that's what God does. God made us. He's the God of the universe. And we've told him to get away from us. We'll live life by ourselves. We humans are pretty capable, thank you. We've taken everything he's given us in this world and frozen him out. And he, the offended party who has every right to finish us, says, I've got something for you. I'll save you and forgive you and change your life. And you can live forever. And we say, what have I got to do, God? He says, it's a gift, grace. You don't have to earn it. And I bet that some of us in this room have always thought that God's love went like a paycheck. You put in the church hours. You do a shift as a decent person. And he sends a bit of love and forgiveness and eternal life if you're really good. The reality couldn't be more different and couldn't be more incredible. God's forgiveness and a new life is held out by his hands, and it comes entirely from his heart, his purpose, despite what we're like, and he knows everything about us. And just in case, we've still got a sneaking suspicion that we have to do something to earn this love from God. Look at this, at the end of verse 9. He goes another step further with this whole grace thing. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Were you around then? Were you there before the beginning of time to make God look at you and think, pretty good, I'll save them. They can be one of my people. They can have my love. You weren't there. He devised the whole thing. He decided to give his grace before the universe itself even existed. That's how much we have nothing to do with it. That's how much it's God. Do you want to live forever with God? Yes, if I could. But what if it, when it comes down to it, he says no? Well, if God's love for us depends on anything we've done, you're right, it wouldn't be safe. Our relationship with God would depend on passing some kind of performance test. It wouldn't be guaranteed. Because what if what we had done wasn't enough for God? But if his love is rooted in a moment before time even began, when, when we didn't even exist, then nothing can threaten that gift. Nothing. Nothing you can do can impress God. And nothing you can do can make him decide to drop you. Because he actually gave us this grace before we'd had a chance to do anything. It's an eternal, time-transcending gift. A choice God made before we were even born. Nothing in life is free, we say. 
Everything has a catch. Everything's earned. Not this time. Do you want to live forever with God? Sure, but I better do something, right? No. He gives it. It's a gift. So we might think, okay, I I do want to live forever. I do want a world with, with all the bad taken away and only good and all the goodness of God unleashed. I want that. But then we kind of slap ourselves and pinch ourselves and, and we say, stop, stop wishing for something that's just too good to be true. You can't do, stop doing that to yourself. Stop getting silly and false hopes into your head. How's living forever even possible, even if I wanted it? Well, happy Easter. Happy Easter. How's it even possible? Christ Jesus. Have a look at verse 10. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So there's the before-time gift of grace that God planned. But then, in verse 10, we we reach into time and into human history where God reveals this gift to us of grace. And it comes where he reveals a person, doesn't he? Christ Jesus, our Savior. And Christ Jesus has done something. See, this isn't just another religious offer. I mean, loads of religions offer eternal life and living forever. But this is different because this God has done something in history. What what has Jesus done? He has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light. I wonder if you've ever seen something be completely destroyed. I mean, completely destroyed. There's a YouTube channel called Will It Blend? Okay, you might have seen this. It's brilliant. Basically, what they do in Will It Blend is they put things in blenders to see if they'll blend very interesting. Yes, it's the kind of thing you find on YouTube. And once they put an iPhone 10 in a blender to see if it would blend, and um, it looked pretty much like this. There it goes. Black dust. Will it blend? Yes. Yes, it'll blend. That's an iPhone 10. All right, that's enough of you. Oh, it's going to come out. There it is. Yeah, that's it. Bye-bye iPhone. Bye-bye iPhones. It gets completely blended. Afterwards, he pours it out, and it's just this pile of, of dust, completely blended. And here's what Jesus has done. When he died on the cross and rose from the dead on Easter morning, he blended death to a dust. He destroyed death. That's what it says. And we need Jesus to destroy death for us because death is the thing that is standing between us and living forever. Because death is the thing that makes us ask, well, how's it even possible to live forever? No one lives forever. The Bible tells us that death ends our lives as a consequence for the way in which we have got rid of the giver of life, God. See, if we live life and try and live life apart from God, we cut ourselves off from the giver of life, the one who can give life, haven't we? And so that's why we have what we have in our world where everybody dies. 
Because every one of us has shut God out, who is the giver of life. But you know, the Bible goes even further and tells us that there's a far deeper barrier between us and living forever than we might realize. Because death does mean the end of life now for these bodies, but also an eternity without God. Living forever, but but in a kind of eternal death without God's love. That's what we deserve for what we do to each other and what we do to God. So I've asked, do you want to live forever? And we should say, well, how can we with death in the way? But this says that Christ Jesus has destroyed death. So when Christ Jesus died on the cross, he took death in our place, which is what we deserve, but he took it for us. Then Easter morning, that's the blender moment. When Jesus came alive again, when that heart started beating in the corpse of his body and he walked out the tomb, death was obliterated into a pile of dust, as it were. He's beaten it, destroyed death's power over us because now there's someone who's come out the other side of death and can bring us out too. And that's the next bit, Paul says. He's brought life and immortality to light. We don't have to wonder if it's possible to live forever because there's already someone who is alive forever. Jesus. Jesus is God as man here on earth and he came alive again to live forever. And when he did that, he made it possible for us to. He made it possible for us to. Immortality. Immortality. It's the stuff of fantasy games and sci-fi, isn't it? Immortality is what what people go for in, in the legends and the myths of our nations. It's the stuff of wishful thinking, immortality. But when Jesus emerged from the tomb, Immortality emerged with him. It came to light. Immortality isn't a fantasy. Hang on, does that mean that Christians think they're not going to die if we're immortal? No, everyone has to go through the death of this body, but death is destroyed because it doesn't have the last word. We get to be with God when we die. And one day our hearts will beat again, just like Jesus did, with new bodies in a remade world. You and I want this. We want this. If you've ever wept over the death of a loved one, if you've ever thought seriously about your own end and what happens next, then listen to these words and Dare to believe that it's possible. Christ Jesus has destroyed death. Do you want to live forever? Not in some weird, never-ending state of who knows where with who knows who. Do you want to live forever with the God of the Bible, of infinite love and patience, the God who, who won't stand for injustice, the God who never deserts people, the God who uses his power for good, 
The God who came himself to die instead of us and destroy death. Immortality means living forever with that God. Enjoying the pure goodness of God in unrestrained fullness with him forever with no end. Joy. Do you want to live forever with him? Death has come very close to home for us as a church this week with Toby and Millie suddenly dying. And they wanted to live forever. So let me tell you some good news. They already are. They are already living forever because on Easter Day, Jesus destroyed death and their hope was in him. They live forever. And so we can use words about Toby and Millie like immortality and life. And we can mean it. And it's got me thinking this week that one of our problems is that many of us live naively when it comes to death. We assume that death must be a long way off for us. This week has just reminded me we have no idea. So I plead with you today, if you're trying to deal with death on your own, you can't do it and you won't win. But there is a gift of grace that God has for you today, the destruction of your death, so that you can live forever with God. Will you accept it? Turn from living your own way without God. Accept his forgiveness as a gift. Start a new life living for God with him. A life that really, really lasts forever. I plead with you, let Jesus destroy your death. But you know, God has another challenge for us this Easter day. Look at verse 8 with me. This is Paul's challenge to those of us who love this message. Verse 8, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, that is this message, or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Brothers and sisters, we must not be ashamed of this gospel message. In fact, we must be willing to suffer for it. Suffer, suffer for living this message and suffer for proclaiming it. Let me ask, does talk of immortality and living forever make you kind of cringe? Or make you worry about talking about that with people that just sounds weird, immortality? It's time to get over it. It's time to get over that. For the sake of others, for the sake of real people facing real death, we have to get over any sense of shame or embarrassment about immortality. Immortality and eternal life, it sounds weird. It sounds like it's from a fantasy book. Sure it does. But I was thinking about it. The fact that people have longed for immortality through our stories and songs and films and books throughout history doesn't make the idea of immortality silly. It makes it a thousand times more precious to be able to say to people without shame, it's real. It's real. That 
basic human hope that death and darkness will not win has been met. Not on the pages of a fantasy book, but in the flesh and blood real resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're all looking for a cause these days, something to live for, something to to give ourselves to, a kind of cause. Christians, our cause walked out of the tomb on Easter morning, bringing the audacious hope of immortality and life with him. That's what we live for. That's what we give ourselves to. So don't be ashamed of your hope. Don't be ashamed even this week to talk about immortality and your friends who are living forever. And to ask people, do you want to live forever? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your generous, grace-filled heart that when you look on a world of pain and wickedness, of bombings and hurt, when you look on us and all that we do to each other, the way we hurt each other, the way we let each other down, and most of all, Lord, the way which we have so deeply offended you, the, the, the maker of life, and yet you give us this gift of your son, Jesus, We are stunned by your grace, your generous, kind, good heart. Thank you that you today do not demand of us to impress you and change your mind about us. You have already made up your mind in giving us grace. And I pray for us to receive that afresh today, to let you do everything to rescue us from death. And we praise you this afternoon for immortality and life that has come to light in Jesus. Thank you that we can talk about immortality and not feel silly or ashamed, but know that that is real hope, that even though one day we will die, we will live forever the other side of that. It is just passing through. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for rising from the dead for us. In your precious name, amen. Let's praise God and sing.